Welcome to The Labor Relationship, a podcast focused on the world of work and our place in it. I'm your host, Daniel Powell. Today, our guest is Carol Ekor, Professor Emerita from the Department of Political Science at Western University. Today's topic is a deep dive into the Employment Equity Act. Carol, welcome to the show. Thanks, Daniel. I'm really uh, uh, appreciative of the chance to talk about employment equity in Canada because I've been passionate about uh, this subject for many years. Um, My interest in employment equity policy grew out of my lifelong concern with the problem of systemic racism in society. It's something I've I've been um, concerned about as a graduate student when I studied race and ethnic relations and urban history and sociology. And when I started my academic life, one of my first articles dating back to 1986 was entitled Affirmative Action Canadian Style. I argued for effective mandatory made in Canada policies to address the realities of systemic discrimination in employment, affecting racialized people, but also women, uh, indigenous people and persons with disabilities. Um, When Judge Rosalie Silverman of Bella's Royal Commission report on equality in employment came out in 1984, I was excited about the depth of her analysis and her recommendations for attacking systemic discrimination in the Canadian workplace. The report led to the Employment Equity Act, which came into force in Canada in 1986. Over the years since then, I published three books on equality policy, the most recent one um, entitled Employment Equity in Canada, the Heritage of the Abella Report, which uh, the University of Toronto Press published in uh, 2014. In uh, my research and writings, I've identified both strengths, strengths and shortcomings in the effectiveness of the act and its implementation in addressing systemic racism and other forms of inequality in the workplace. Now, I'm hopeful that the legislative review of the act that's in progress now will result in an updated Employment Equity Act with stronger tools for coming to grips with systemic discrimination in employment in Canada. So as as you've mentioned, our topic today is the Employment Equity Act specifically, and and just for our listeners, we might refer to it as the EEA. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we could we could explore and analyze and, and pick this act apart for probably hours, I'm sure. But the focus of this session is to get a, a holistic and broad understanding of of what the Employment Equity Act is. I think it's important for everyone to be aware of why we have the act, and especially management and leaders. So my first question for you, Carol. What is the Employment Equity Act and why do we have it? Well, I think we have it um, growing out of a climate of um, realization in Canada about the issues of systemic racism and sexism and disability discrimination. And recently we've had a climate of activism on these issues and on the need for uh, action on reconciliation with indigenous peoples and activism on recognition of LGBTQ identities. And it's interesting to me that this reminds me of the political climate in the 1980s when the landmark Abella Report was commissioned and published. It was a time of grassroots activism 
and hope that progress towards social justice was possible. Inspired by Abella's report, the uh, Mulroney government, um, and then particularly um, Flora McDonald, the Minister of Employment and Immigration at the time, um, passed the Employment Equity Act. This was 1986, and the act took effect in 1987. In 1995, the Employment Equity Act was replaced by an amended Employment Equity Act that added coverage of the federal public service, the Canadian Forces, the RCMP. So the 1995 Act, which is the one we have now, both strengthened and weakened elements of the 1986 Act's original enforcement regime. Um, one point that uh, Abella noted in her Royal Commission report that I think is important is that understanding the meaning of equality really matters in thinking about the Employment Equity Act. She said, and these are her words, respect for differences allows people to be treated as equals. Ignoring differences creates inequality. So in other words, treating everybody the same, despite the differences among them, can't lead to equality. And this proposition remains a key to understanding what is the Employment Equity Act, what's involved in implementing it, and why we have it. That's a great quote. That's to, to get the, the perception of there's a difference between equality and equity. Not everyone who's equal is treated equitably. So. I'm going to go to the next question of why are we implementing this act, though? So to your point, many would argue that Canada is one of the most diverse places in the world. So why do we need something that mandates equity in the workplace? And further, if we do mandate it, what's the goal of the act? What should the act's success look like? Great question. Um, yes, Canada is one of the most diverse countries in the world, probably the last I, uh, since there's data that I have looked at, second only to Australia in, in the amount of diversity that we have in Canada. Um, but at the same time, Canada has a great deal of inequality in employment, which is the area we're looking at now. Um, so um, we need the Employment Equity Act in Canada to address the inequality in the midst of the diversity that we have in order for our society to be healthy and for um, people of all backgrounds to be able to participate equitably in the workplace. Um, the major uh, interesting thing about the Employment Equity Act is that it's proactive in its orientation. It was intended to prevent discrimination from happening in the workplace rather than to deal with discrimination after it occurred, like the human rights process does. Right. Our human rights process is designed to deal mainly with complaints from individuals who have experienced discrimination and who come to the Human Rights Commission seeking justice after discrimination has happened to them. In contrast, the Employment Equity Act is proactive it's intended to prevent discrimination rather than deal with the effects of it after it's occurred. It does this by requiring employers to identify and remedy barriers in the workplace that get in the way of equality within their organizations. In other words, then to prevent discrimination. Okay. So the act uh, provides a, a structure 
for identifying patterns of inequality. That's, that's really what it does for us. Um, it identifies, or it, it, it provides a process for identifying patterns of inequality that are built into the structure and culture of the workplace um, so that customary ways of making and implementing decisions that can create inequality can be identified and replaced by policies and practices that are fair to all. So the, the, the central purpose of the Employment Equity Act is to address systemic or institutional discrimination and our present preoccupation with with the wrongs of systemic racism is, is, is central, right? In, in yeah. terms of the purpose of the act. So in addressing systemic discrimination, <clears throat> groups and individuals who have faced discrimination and inequality uh, will benefit because um, the act is, is designed to um, get, take care of the barriers that, that uh, create inequality. So just, just maybe for, um, for a definition, um, I suggest that systemic discrimination consists of patterns of behavior that are part of the social and administrative structures and culture of the workplace that perpetuate relative disadvantage for some groups and privilege for other groups and for individuals on the basis of their group identity. So systemic discrimination is multi-dimensional or intersectoral, uh, resulting in cumulative impacts based on gender, race, disability, or other identities. For instance, the barriers that impede the career development of Black women both resemble and differ from those faced by white women. And the distinctive kinds of barriers that each identity faces need to be addressed. So, um, the, the Employment Equity Act is mandatory for larger employers in the federally regulated private sector, primarily banks, transportation, and communication firms. It also applies to the core federal public service, the Canadian Armed Forces, the RCMP, the federal crown corporations. Um, so it has a fairly wide scope. Uh, it's difficult to determine exactly what proportion of Canada's workforce is covered by the Employment Equity Act, but I estimate that it's only uh, less than 10%. Why? Because the provinces whose laws cover the vast majority of Canadian workers um, are uh, the entities that regulate most workplaces in Canada. Right. And the provinces have yet to enact and retain employment equity legislation. Now, Ontario adopted a progressive employment equity law in the early 1990s under Bob Bray's NDP government, but it was repealed as one of the first acts of the Harris Conservative government in 1995, so we don't have it now. Provincially regulated employers who have contracts to sell goods or services to the federal government worth a million dollars or more and have at least 100 employees are covered by a program called the Federal Contractors Program, which falls under the Employment Equity Act. The Federal Contractors Program requires these employers, which include some universities, to file reports to the government on the representation of women, so-called visible minorities, persons with disabilities and indigenous people in their workforce, and to set goals and make plans to improve representation. 
However, these reports are not publicly available and there are no penalties for lack of action on underrepresentation. So that's generally the legislative context that we're dealing with in Canada around employment equity. So now that we have a fundamental understanding of what the EEA is and why we have it and what it should look like, can we talk a little bit about the main features and requirements of the EEA? Sure, yeah, the, um, the act very clearly sets out what employers are responsible to do and, and the act places responsibility squarely on employers right. to take certain steps to identify and remove barriers to equality for the four groups that we've been talking about. Um, and I'll, I'll list the, the steps that um, the Canadian model of employment equity uh, requires employers to take. Sure. First of all, um, to demonstrate top management commitment to carry out employment equity. So there, uh, the, the government, the act is looking for leadership from the top to carry out a program of organizational change that will remove barriers and create greater equality. Uh, the second requirement is to conduct a workforce census to identify representation of designated groups, equity-seeking groups, using self-identification. Um, so it's a voluntary census. And as, as we've been saying, the designated groups or equity-seeking groups are women, persons with disabilities, um, indigenous people, and uh, so-called visible minorities in the current legislation, um, members of racialized groups. Then the employer is supposed to compare the representation of these groups in their workforce with their representation in the labor market from which the employer hires. And usually census data are the basis for this comparison. So the census is a very important tool in the employment equity toolkit. The next step is to report the required workforce data to the federal government annually. Um, and the government in turn reports publicly on aggregated data from all of the different uh, employers, as well as making individual employer data uh, public, publicly available. The employer is also required to set goals and timetables for improving representation. If the representation falls short of what's in the availability pool, the employer is supposed to set a, a goal for improving the situation and the time frame within which that will happen. Then the employer is also supposed to adopt what are called special measures, um, positive policies, practices designed to remove barriers to equality. And these could be things like um, designing uh, ways to accommodate um, women with families or undertaking training so that everybody in the workplace understands what's what it's like to live in a diverse workplace with with the proper respect and, and fairness um, and finally uh, the work the employer is supposed to review its policies and practices about human resources decision making in order to identify barriers to the designated group uh, representation at all levels so this uh, process is called an employment systems review. So it involves um, taking a look at all 
the policies and practices, whether they're written down or not, that companies use to decide who to hire, who to promote, and who to provide training and development for, who to promote, and so forth. So look at those, those practices and decide whether there are any barriers built in to any of them. And finally, um, the uh, employer is required to consult with unions on employment equity issues and to cooperate with periodic audits of its compliance with the requirements of the Employment Equity Act, audits conducted by the Canadian Human Rights Commission, <clears throat> which um, has the, the um, ability to issue directions in case of a failure to comply. In fact, that rarely happens. Usually the commission talks to the employer about how they could do better and gives them another chance, but it does have the power to issue directions. Um, it should be noted, because this is often something people wonder about, that under the Employment Equity Act, seniority clauses in collective agreements are not considered barriers. Uh, furthermore, employers are not required to create positions or hire unqualified persons in order to comply with the act. So there's nothing in the act that prevents employers from using uh, the concept of merit in, in dealing with its employees, but it does probably challenge the employer to think about what they mean by merit and who has merit and how that kind of merit helps the organization. a great rundown of, of exactly the steps that businesses need to take. Uh, but I'd like to shift our focus maybe to some external analysis and exploring maybe other parts of the world that maybe have this legislation. The concept of inequality is or inequity is not novel, right? And I'm, 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 I'm sure that equity or the lack of is a worldwide issue. So what are other countries doing to address inequality in employment? Is Canada a leader in pushing this Equity Act? I would say Canada is definitely an either, a leader or it was at, at the time that the right. Equity Act was first adopted. Um, are are we still a leader? <laughs> are we still a leader might be the better question. <laughs> well, and that's a hard question to answer right now. That's, that's it's fairly complicated and, and um, I think that uh, other countries and jurisdictions still look to the Canadian Employment Equity Act as an important example for them to learn from uh, whether Canada's results are leading results or not um, in terms of uh, achieving equality is a question that's very complicated to answer. And um, I, I think probably we, are, we have a ways to go. Right. I know that we do. Um, but I think one thing that's important about the Canadian Employment Equity Act at the time it was adopted, um, it, it is distinctly Canadian. Uh, even though at the, at the time that Judge Abella was writing her Royal Commission report, <clears throat> affirmative action policy was very much uh, in discussion in the United States and, and was being practiced. And, she clearly recommended that um, we don't imitate the American example, but we, um, we devise our own made in Canada approach to um, equality in the workplace. And there are good 
constitutional and legal reasons for, for that, as well as political and cultural differences between Canada and the United States, which partly explain our differences in approach to inequality. And um, of course, the ongoing conflict over affirmative action in the United States is something that so far we have not had to uh, deal with here because our constitutional arrangements are different. Um, however, the United States does have a contract compliance program, which um, was an early model for Canada's federal contractors program. And that program in the United States did have positive impacts uh, for black Americans and black businesses. I think that's maybe less true today with changes in government down there. Um, several other countries and jurisdictions have used our Employment Equity Act as a model for their own legislation to address, to address inequality. Um, those countries include uh, Australia, the Netherlands, Northern Ireland, South Africa, and perhaps others. Um, we can look at Northern Ireland as an example. Um, Northern Ireland used Abella's report as a, a, a backdrop to designing their own Fair Employment Equity Act, which addresses employment discrimination between Catholics and Protestants in the workplace. And um, it had considerable success in improving Catholic participation rates. And um, Northern Ireland's legislation included um, a stronger enforcement regime than Canada's. And it was supported by both corporations and unions from, from the get-go. And those are important um, things that Canada can learn from in uh, thinking about how to, we could improve our own Act because they were important factors contributing to the success of Northern Ireland's approach to workplace equality. Right. Um, another important example is South Africa. Um, South Africa used Canada's Employment Equity Act in designing its own 1990 Act, sorry, 1998 Employment Equity Act as part of its effort to address gender and racial inequality in the aftermath of apartheid. Canada's and South Africa's legislation are quite similar. And um, while some progress has been made in reducing inequality for South African women and for black workers, research suggests that both countries, Canada and South Africa, need to improve their enforcement of employment equity requirements in order to um, uh, boost the effectiveness of their equality policies. Just to hop off of that, um, I mean, coming from both of us, an academic background, some of the studies that we come across uh, say that the, the Employment Equity Act is, is noble, right, but not as effective as we'd like, as you've mentioned. Um, can we talk a little bit about the strengths and the weaknesses of uh, Canada's uh, Employment Equity Act? Sure, sure. It's, uh, it's, it's very interesting if, you're, if you have an interest in policy to, to look into that. Um, because probably like any piece of legislation, it does have both strengths and weaknesses and political compromises were made along the way to achieving this legislation. And uh, we still are living with the effects of those. Um, there is research evidence that the Employment Equity Act has made a difference and has contributed to reducing barriers to equality, especially for women 
and for racialized persons in the workplaces that it covers. And there have been small gains as well for indigenous people and for those with disabilities, but there's much need for improvement to remove barriers and improve representation for those groups. Um, also, there have been recent declines in the representation of women uh, since the onset of the, uh, the pandemic. Um, furthermore, there's evidence that Black Canadians continue to face barriers to advancement and, work, and also workplace cultures that are not inclusive. So there's a lot of work to be done there. Um, so we can say that systemic discrimination remains a significant issue in the Canadian workplace. However, the Employment Equity Act has played an important role in challenging inequality and disadvantage, despite its weaknesses. And I'll give you a couple examples of research that has shown this. Um, research comparing large firms covered by the Employment Equity Act and the Federal Contractors Program, comparing those with financial post 500 companies that were not covered by that kind of employment equity regime found a greater number of diversity management programs in the employment equity uh, firms than in firms not covered by employment equity. And the positive differences were significant for recruitment, training and development, and accountability for employment equity goals. Researchers Nig and Burke uh, concluded that, and these are their words, employment equity legislation remains the most effective tools at promoting equity and diversity in Canadian organizations. So their, their research is, is important. Um, another recent study analyzing data from Employment Equity Act employers reports on the representation of the visible minority workforce found significant progress in representation over the period from 1987 when we first had employment equity through to 2018 in comparison with the broader Canadian labor market. Um, so that's interesting and important uh, evidence. And the authors of this study recommended broader coverage of the Employment Equity Act to, to more uh, workplaces, uh, given the, those positive results. Now, the key benefit of the Employment Equity Act, I think, is that it's mandatory for employers. Um, it's not voluntary. It requires employers to address barriers to equality in their workplaces and to be publicly accountable for results. The Equity Act definitely needs to be strengthened, particularly its enforcement, so that it's implemented as intended by employers. Um, however, the Act is more effective in getting results than voluntary, voluntary programs that are so common now, the EDI, or um, equity, diversity, and inclusion programs that so many um, employers are, are um, implementing now. Right. Um, these are voluntary programs and they vary widely. They may not be supported by expertise. They may be resisted by employees afraid of losing their privilege. Right. And they are at the employer's discretion. So they don't have the kind of um, staying power and uh, the potential teeth that the Employment Equity Act has even despite its weaknesses. Legislated mandatory programs require employers to take some action. So if we want more progress toward equality, 
um, we need to keep the act and to improve and strengthen it. Um, some employers are taking employment equity seriously and showing commitment and improvements, but others have been seduced by the competing narratives of voluntary diversity and inclusion strategies that um, maybe are about enhancing corporate image without making employers accountable for taking action to reduce systemic barriers and to demonstrate real gains in equity for their employers. Without legal, legal consequences, employers find it easy to let employment equity take a back seat to other priorities, right? You know, they're interested in, in making a profit or in providing services. Almost like these EDIs are in place in, in, I mean, not almost, it is as if they're in the business's best interests, not necessarily those that they're representing. Well, yeah, I think, I think that the, the, they are often introduced at, um, on the basis of a business case, right. right? That EDI is going to help the company's image uh, with consumers, with clients, whatever in the community um, will help the, the profit um, making ability of the, of the company. Right. And that, that becomes the primary reason for doing it. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but with the Employment Equity Act, employers can be concerned about those things, which are obviously important to running a business, right. but they also are required to, to take equality seriously as a goal. So I just want to touch off of a topic you, you brought up earlier, and it's on the weaknesses of the Employment Equity Act. So if there are these glaring weaknesses, uh, we have to be able to implement some amendments and change to the policy to make it effective, right? But even if we did so, there's also the issue of compliance, as you, as you mentioned before, the, the policy doesn't really have teeth. Uh, there's, there's not much to force employers, it's more recommendations. So how can we address these weaknesses or improve and strengthen the Employment Equity Act? Well, the act is limited by a number of built-in weaknesses. And, and as I mentioned, it, uh, political compromises are always made when legislation is, is introduced. Um, so one of the problems with the act is the lack of sufficient um, enforcement and sanctions for non-compliance with its requirements. Right. Um, employers um, face only small fines for failing to file their annual reports to the government. That's the only sanction they face under the Employment Equity Act. So there's no sanctions for failing to develop and implement employment equity plans and goals. Um, the other thing is that because there's a sanction and a requirement for reporting the numbers to the government. Collecting and reporting data has too often become a numbers game with little impact on real change toward equality. Because um, if the employer is being judged on whether they submit a report or not, and on the you know the numbers, the quality of the of the numerical uh, uh, value of the report. It's not necessarily being, it's, it's truly not being judged on how much progress it's making toward, toward focus equality. Is, focus is on the data. It's not course, necessarily yeah, on the people. It can become an, yeah. an end in itself, yeah. 
Um, the other thing is that enforcement has been weak. I mean, the Canadian Human Rights Commission is underfunded and overburdened. It has many, many uh, responsibilities and um, investigating compliance issues is resource intensive. Uh, its budget has been reduced over the years and the Employment Equity Act gives, gives it really little scope for challenging employers' lack of effort toward employment equity. So um, the whole role of the Human Rights Commission, I think needs to be strengthened and, and better resourced in order to uh, improve enforcement. And the, uh, the Federal Contractors Program shares these weaknesses. It, it's um, it, the only sanction it provides for failure to comply with requirements is that an employer can be delisted from applying for future contracts but no employers are currently delisted. And I can't recall a time when any employers have been delisted. Um, under the Harper government, the requirement came in for um, contracts having to be worth at least a million dollars in order to be covered by the federal contractors program. Now that's, there are a few, a few contracts that are worth that much. So yeah. therefore not many employers are covered by the federal contractors program. You know, it, it should, the, the um, cutoff should be lowered at least to $50,000 to broaden the program's big coverage. Jump. That's a big yeah. jump. Yeah, and in addition to that, the reports of, uh, con of federal contractors um, need to be made publicly available along with reports of their compliance reviews because as it is now, the public has no access to information about uh, how the federal contractors are doing. Right. Now, we can't even do research on this, really, because uh, th th that information is, is uh, not black boxed. Yeah. yeah. So there's some additional ways that the Employment Equity Act can be strengthened. You want me to, to look at sure, some? Yeah. No? Sure. Okay. Well, um, these are things that I'm sure most people that think about the act would agree with obviously the term visible minorities needs to be replaced it was used back in the mid 80s but it's not used anymore um, in in addition this large category of people needs to be deconstructed to address the specific situations of diverse racialized groups including members of the black asian south asian latin american arab and other communities because each each of those groups has its own concerns and the barriers that it faces. For example, um, Latin American and, and Arab um, members of the workforce may face um, uh, issues with getting their uh, credentials recognized if they acquired those credentials in a, in a different country than Canada. Right. And employers in Canada tend to give preference to people with Canadian experience, which is an unfair barrier to those totally. groups. And, and members of the black population may not face that particular barrier because they've grown up and achieved their education in Canada. So the, these various populations have different needs that need to be understood. Um, another point is that the term Aboriginal people obviously needs to be replaced with Indigenous with peoples. <laughs> yeah, and also this category uh, needs to address as well, differences amongst uh, this, 
members of this large and diverse population, at, at, at the very least, um, First Nations, Métis, and Inuit people need to they have their own uh, separate needs and, and uh, uh, realities respected. Um, I guess uh, there's uh, many people feel that there's a need for a new uh, category of people that face barriers in the workplace to be recognized, and that's LGBTQ and two-spirited persons. Um, with that one <laughs> yeah yeah so so this this category of people uh, need to be acknowledged as an equity seeking group in the revised employment equity act um and what's happened is that in the intervening years since the employment equity act first came in research evidence has accumulated to support and acknowledge the barriers that this group faces in the workplace Back then, there, there wasn't much research evidence that right. uh, attested to that, but the, the, the evidence is there now. Um, another point, since we're mentioning all these, these different parts of the population whose needs need to be addressed, the concept of intersectionality or overlapping identities is not accommodated within the Employment Equity Act at present, right. and it needs to be revised so that collection, analysis, and reporting of data by employers uh, will permit identification to of uh, barriers to equality for different combinations of identities, for, um, such as um, women of color versus men of color, or um, women who are black versus women who are white, and so forth. Um, we need to be able to to deconstruct, you know, what are the issues that that each of, of these uh, intersecting identities uh, face. Um, another important point, I think, is that the act should require evidence of employers' consultation with both unions and a committee representing the equity-seeking groups in their workplace. And where the equity-seeking groups in their workplace are not numerous, um, representation from external community groups should be uh, included. So employers should be required to provide information to these uh, to this committee or this uh, employee representative group uh, that would permit them to be effective participants in, in planning and implementing and monitoring the results of employment equity in the workplace. So I guess you know there with all these weaknesses that that can be identified, um, we need to recognize that there's a gap between Abella's policy vision for employment equity as a remedy for systemic discrimination in the workplace and the reality that many employers tend to do the minimum required to comply with the act. They need to do more. Uh, they're implementing the act as written, not the policy of employment equity as envisioned and as could be most effective. So I want to draw our attention to there was a statistic you brought up at the start about 10% of employees are covered by this. Um, so for this last portion of the show, I want to focus on what leaders and managers can do to improve equity and diversity in their hiring habits in their workplace culture or any other part of work. So you could argue that regardless of what the data shows, um, we should be pushing for equity and diversity, both from a business standpoint, as you mentioned, and an ethical one. Um, so 
how can corporate leaders in the public and private sectors take effective action towards reducing discriminatory barriers and making their workplaces fair and just and equitable for everyone? Yeah, yeah that's such a good question. Um, really, um, there's, there's nothing keeping from employers that are not covered by the Employment Equity Act right. from doing something about barriers in their workplace. Absolutely, yeah. Right? Um, for reasons of, of personal ethics, of corporate ethics, of business advantage, there are so many reasons that could be cited for, for doing something about um, inequality. I think one of the most important business-related reasons today is simply the diversity of Canada's workforce. If employers want to have the, the best and the brightest employees, they're going to have to hire uh, a very diverse range of employees that weren't even available to hire back when the Employment Equity Act was first. Uh, first Ooh, it's changed for sure. Yeah, so the changing workplace is a reason enough to uh, prompt employers to say, hey, you know, we, we better remove the barriers that are getting in the way of our recruiting, you know, the people that we need. They're going to other places where diversity uh, measures are, are uh, meaningful. Uh, so we better, better up our game. Uh, you know, the, there's some, also, uh, I think a, a, meet, a need for, a sort of a, an awakening by employers to realize the importance of ensuring equity and fairness and justice in decision-making that affects workers. Um, in the past, as a practical matter, we've seen a lot of resistance from corporate leaders to employment e equity legislation, okay. to implementing it, to having it in the first place. Uh, to have having it um, have sufficient teeth to get results. Um, corporations have lobbied and otherwise attempted to minimize employment equity requirements and penalties. Um, and we can expect these kinds of pressures to be applied during the legislative review because uh, generally speaking, employers like to have a free hand without impediment to you know, take the decisions that they want to take anytime they want to take them. And um, employment equity is, um, is a mandatory program. And um, just the very idea of that, I think we, we see plenty of opposition <laughs> to that yeah. at this moment in Canadian society's <laughs> uh, history. Um, there seems to be a lot of resistance to that idea. Right. So we can expect resistance whether it's well-founded or not, whether it's, you know, has a factual basis or not. Um, so the Employment Equity Act is structured so as to make corporate leaders take responsibility for equity. And uh, so they, they have to step up and, you know, realize that this is important. Um, I think that one of the clearest lessons that we've learned from research on, and from experience with equity programs and organizational change programs more generally in the workplace is that little changes, unless those with power to make decisions and allocate resources and commit the organization to action are personally and publicly committed to equity goals. 
so the stance of leaders is really important. Right. And we're not going to make progress unless we have the leadership in place. So that's, I guess, the bottom line as far as, you know, what corporate leaders can do without commitment from the top, we're unlikely to see significant progress toward equitable representation. If employers use their time and energy to resist compliance rather than to get on board and be leaders in implementing employment equity. Yeah, you know, that's, that's our, our whole society is, is going to feel that. Um, another really important action that I think leaders can take is to review their compensation policies and practices and results to address inequity in pay. This is really important to people. And we have a lot of, um, I think, uh, serious inequality in pay affecting uh, the equity seeking groups. We know we have it for women. There's still a big gender pay gap. Right. It's, uh, it, there is evidence that it's bigger still for women of color than it is for white women, so certainly bigger for indigenous women. Hmm. Um, and um, and it's, there's a big pay gap for indigenous men and for uh, men of color and for men with disabilities. I mean, you know, these are issues that really matter to people. Um, a recent revision to the Employment Equity Act requires employers to collect and analyze pay data for their four designated groups. Um, so um, that, that is going to happen. A Pay Equity Act has recently taken effect in the federal jurisdiction, and it, it applies to um, all employers in the federal jurisdiction. And it requires employers to address pay gaps affecting the four equity-seeking groups that we've talked about. And it includes requirements for compliance reduced by the Canadian Human Rights Commission. So this is important new legislation that's just coming on stream now. And we need to monitor it and examine its effectiveness as a model for removing barriers to equity and pay. But this is something that corporate leaders, whether they're covered by the Employment Equity Act or the Pay Equity Act or not, they can do it. They can look at their pay practices and really decide, are, are, are we paying fairly? And uh, do we have good rational basis for allocating pay as we do? And how are we making these decisions? And uh, take a critical look at their pay practices. That would do a great deal, I think, to uh, win uh, loyalty and satisfaction from the employees that, that they need so badly. Well, we are reaching the end of the show. Carol, is there any last things that you want to touch on? Anything that we might have missed in our conversation? Well, yes, I'd like to call attention to um, the opportunity that we have uh, due to the legislative review of the Employment Equity Act that is underway now. Um, the mandate letters recently released to the members of, of cabinet of the government of Canada contain instructions to the Minister of Labor to move forward with a review of the Employment Equity Act in order to strengthen it, in order to make it applicable to today. Um, so under, under the labor program, a uh, 
a review task force has been appointed and it's uh, working now. So watch for the chance to be, be involved in, and to put your views forward. If you care about systemic discrimination in the workplace in Canada, you have this opportunity to share your concerns and ideas with the legislative review task force. And you could start by asking for a formal public consultation process because that hasn't been announced yet and we need that. So if, if you uh, get involved, you could help to make the next version of the Employment Equity Act stronger and more effective than it is in moving the Canadian workplace toward equity for all. This is a chance we all should, should take to um, improve the situation. It'd be important to note that right now it's uh, 2022, February, uh, but uh, I think that that goes for any time that there's revisions to anything you know, that uh, any policy or act. So get your voice heard. Absolutely. 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 Carol, I want to thank you for coming on the show. This has been a fantastic conversation. We really dug into the Employment Equity Act and I hope the listeners get a ton of information out of this. Uh, I sincerely look forward to working with you in the future. Thank you so much, Daniel. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's been a great chance to talk with you. This has been The Labor Relationship. Have a topic you want to explore? Or maybe you want to participate in the show? Send us an email at thelaborrelationship at gmail.com.